Mac Power Users, episode 191. Mac Power Users Live, May 3rd, 2014. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you, Katie? I'm doing well, David. How are you? Well, you know, it's May 3rd, but I just want to say may the 4th be with you. <laughs> may the 4th be with you as well, as David. I, I'm actually going to celebrate it this year because it's on a Sunday. You know, usually it's like a weekday and I can't really do anything about it, but I'm having people over. I'm cooking meat on the barbecue. and Let me guess, be- bratwurst? Uh, there'll probably be some brats in there, but I'm going to do hamburgers too. You know, I'm going to make sure everybody's going to put some chicken in there. So we're going to have a, a nice variety of food. My daughter's in, um, uh, film production at school. So you can imagine there's a bunch of kids there that are kind of like star, star Wars. I expect we'll have some Jedi at our house tomorrow. And I'm thinking I'm going to show the phantom edit. I've never seen it before. Are you familiar with that? No. What is that? Well, they, um, somebody out there just hated the tri- the uh, prequel so much that he took all the footage and recut it. And I believe he cut like an hour and a half out of the total combined footage. I don't, I haven't watched it yet, but like there's a lot less Jar Jar and it's, you know, some of the more inane dialogue is just cut out of the movie. So it's the two hour movie cut down to 30 minutes. I bet that'd be okay. Yeah. Well, no, I think it's, I don't even really know, Katie, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting it today. So I'm going to have to figure it out. But the, um, it's it's the entire prequels cut down to two movies. So three movies cut to two. Oh, okay. So I would imagine they cut quite a bit out of The Phantom Menace and probably some out of Attack of the yeah. Clown. Because I thought of the prequels, I thought the third was the better of the three. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I can tell you that I uh, the last time I watched those movies was in the theater. So I kind of forget what happened. I just remember thinking... Uh, it was it was very disappointing, but I, this, that's not what we're here for today. So um, <laughs> okay, it is kind of interesting though that that my favorite you know space opera has a holiday. I just wanted to point that out. Well, we we have First Contact Day. I've never even heard of First Contact Day. When is that? Well, First Contact Day is the day that the Vulcans come down. Um, I know what it is, but when is it? Well, it hasn't happened yet. It's on April the fifth, two thousand sixty three. Oh, so you only get one day. That's that's a well, lot of work. Well, we celebrate it every April the 5th. Okay. Well, we'll do a special episode on First Contact Day. Well, we, it was oh, a while ago, but okay. No, I thought you said, Last when month. is it? April 5th, 2063. Yeah, but I thought it was 2063. Well, you can celebrate First Contact Day every April 5th. Okay. Yeah. I'll be in my 90s, so... <laughs> You'll be able to run roughshod all over me. There we go. All right. So maybe we should we should talk about some uh, productivity and, and Mac stuff. Maybe. Yeah. I, I do want to say, though, these live shows are a lot of fun. I was driving home feeling very sorry for myself the other day because I was having a rough week. And I was thinking, you know, the good news is I get to get online with Katie on Saturday morning to this live show. And we're getting tons of great feedback. So people are really liking it. I like that we're keeping up with the feedback better now. So I think these live shows are going to become a thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and we actually have a guest. Our our first uh, MPU live show guest is is getting ready to join us, and, I, and I, this is something that I'd like to do more frequently. And uh, we had a couple listeners write in with some workflows ideas, and um, Chris is going to join us in just a minute. I think we've got Chris on the on the line with Skype. 
But uh, Chris was actually a website that uh, we referenced a couple of shows ago. I think maybe it was the last MPU Live or the show about that because he's got some pretty awesome Hazel workflows. And as I was going through his site, I just thought, wow, we, we kind of need to get this guy on and, and talk some more about the things that he's doing with his Mac and how he's solving some of these problems. Yeah, so Chris is at scrubs.me. Let's get Chris in here. Yeah. Welcome, Chris. Are you here with us? Well, he is here with us, but I think his microphone might be muted. Maybe he's pushing the button. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I am definitely busy pushing the button for sure. There he Hi. is. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Hi, David. How are you doing? Good. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. It's a real pleasure to join. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Now, Chris, tell us a little bit about um, who you are, and or tell the Mac Power users, folks. You were telling us a little bit in the pre-show. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, I'm a PhD chemist. I work for a large company here in the Midwest. I'm a big tech geek at heart. Um, I've left the lab behind, so I'm doing mostly technology management. Um, and at, a few years ago, we were able to switch from PCs to Macs at, to Macs at work. And uh, that's really set me free in terms of productivity. Um, when I got the Mac and started looking around, I ended up at David's site looking at the paperless field guide. And that was really a lot of fun for me and got me into what I was doing today. Awesome. Well, that's, that's great to hear. I really appreciate that. The, um, it's fun. We, we actually got quite a few listeners from the field guides, which I always thought would be just the opposite direction. The field guides would get readers from the show. But it's nice to hear people going that other direction. And Chris has got this excellent site, scrubs.me, where he puts up a bunch of little productivity tips. And it's very well written. It's a very clean design. We're going to put it in the show notes. Uh, one of the posts that Chris did that kind of stood out for me was his tagging solution. Uh, Chris, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, from a tagging standpoint, before I started doing the productivity work on the Mac, before I got into this, I basically lived in email. So, you know, it's an exchange world was in Outlook. Uh, and trying to find files that I was getting from multiple folks. You know, you've got uh, several projects you're dealing with, um, details coming from, from folks. Trying to do a, like a shallow nested folder approach wasn't working for me, and I found myself going back into the email program. And the reason I was doing that is because I could remember who sent me the file, I could remember a few details, and I could find it there. But you know, once I get into email, I get lost and, you know, uh, next email comes in and it was really killing my productivity. So Ooh, I couldn't I've find files. Yeah. So you're basically using your email like a, a file cabinet. Yeah. And it, that's a horrible way to, to, to go about things. Yeah. I understand. And no argument from me there. So what I set out to do was try and get a way to tag these things better. So this is the first one I learned, learned of open meta. Um, so a little bit before the Mavericks, Mavericks tagging. And um, did the typical, did a Google search, um, came up with a site called the Cocoa Quest. Uh, it's a blog at markosx.com. And Mark had a post about automatically saving attachments in mail. And I basically just took this, uh, you know, did a little bit of my own kludgy uh, uh, ads to the Apple script. And then uh, Hazel does the rest, of course. So what the script does is it, uh, it saves files based on who the sender is in uh, nested folders. And then you can have Hazel crawl through that. And uh, Hazel's added dynamic tagging in Mavericks. So it'll put a tag based on the folder name. And then I use that to move into my filing system. So basically dump it into an inbox. And I think we actually referenced your um, 
the Apple script, because that's how we originally got connected with you, is we were talking about, gosh, there's got to be a way to download attachments and mail using Apple script, because we had this whole discussion, I think, both on the last Mac Power Users Live show and the show before that. And that's how we got connected with you and your site. And then you added the whole tagging layer on top of it. Yeah, the, the tagging layer is quite nice. So uh, I guess the biggest one, if someone's working in a big company, your boss sends you lots of emails. So uh, the tag that gets populated a lot is, you know, from with my boss's last name. Uh, and it's automatically put on, goes into the inbox. And then, you know, there's a, a whole lot of folks now talking about how you should file and what tags are going to be used for. But I do find that tagging helps me find the files much more quickly. And it's really a question of making an observation on how you find the files and tweaking the system for you. So give us give us some examples of the types of tags that you use. It, it sounds like you use people's names as tags. Yeah, that's the, so the, the main tag that I tend to go for is who sent me this file. And then the other tags are going to be project names, um, as well as, you know, if the it's a, a detail about a, a technical portion of the program, I would tag for that. Or if, you know, it's more mundane, it's something about budget or something about personnel, um, it'll get tags for, for that as well. So I, I do have a mix of, uh, you know, everyone's got kind of a bit of a shallow folder system, I think, is the, the top of uh, the list today, and then add tags on it. Um, and over the last month, I've also found uh, an add-on program that sits on top of uh, Spotlight. It's called Tembo. It's in the Mac App Store, and it just makes it very easy to do the typical things you do with an advanced search in Spotlight. So I can check the folders in my box uh, uh, cloud account. I can set it to go for my documents. Um, you can basically set up folders there. And then you type into a Spotlight-like uh, Spotlight search box, and you can type in the tags and a, few, a little bit of information about it. And then you can also say, I want the things that have been done in the last week. And that's been a really big help for me over this time period of being able to find files. Uh, pull information I need up so that I can get things together, talk to my boss about what uh, what's going on in the projects, and uh, move forward from there. Timbo is a really interesting app. It's got an elephant icon. And if you don't know Timbo, they're actually – the software is a single developer. I met the guy and his dad one year. They were at Macworld, and they had one of those little booths in Tiny Town. And uh, I don't know, remember which country he was from. He was somewhere in Europe. But he's the guy who designed the original Huda Spot, H-O-U-D-A-H Spot. Do you remember that, Katie? Yeah, the geotagging or geo – was it geocaching, right? Yeah, and and he also had a search uh, – a, um, a kind of search product he had built around that as well. And when the App Store came out, he kind of tuned it down and made it a little, little simpler – and frankly, easier to use and released it as Timbo. And I have that app installed as well. And I really love it. I think it's a great way to kind of drill through your, your Mac and find things. And and he's been keeping it up. And like the most recent version is out November 20, 2013. So it's not, you know, dying out there on the vine. He's doing good work with it. And uh, this is an app definitely worth checking. I don't remember what I paid for it because I bought it several years ago. I think it's uh, about $15 on the App Store or at the site. Yeah. yeah. Now, Chris, it sounds like Hazel is adding many of these tags automatically, which is obviously the beauty of Hazel. So it's it's scanning your email. It's grabbing the downloads. It's, it's processing these downloads into folders sorted by um, sender, it sounds like, and then adding tags. But so then do you end up with a folder on your Mac that has a bunch of subfolders with 
um, you know, attachments from senders in there? Or what happens to the files after that? Well, the, the beauty of this from Hazel is that they've got the ability to crawl through a specific set of subfolders. Um, yeah, Gabe actually at Mac Drifter just did a post on his photo handling that uses the same feature. So I hid the the spot where all these subfolders based on names, you know, put it off into a space that I don't usually use and won't index, and then let Hazel walk through there when it sees a file. It auto names it based on the name, as I said, you know, from last name or from email address, and then we'll we'll um, put the tags on it and move it into my inbox. Um, I keep the inbox in box.net. Um, because it's corporately approved. So from a security standpoint, I'm in good shape there. And then I can get to that if I need to look at something from uh, my iPad or my iPhone. That's another one worth stepping in on. Um, the box.net pr- uh, platform has, I think, matured a lot in the last couple of years. And if you're at an office where they're saying you can't use Dropbox, talk to your IT people about box.net. It's a little more expensive, but it gives them all of the IT controls that they want, like limited access to folders and um, and some different security protocols that that makes the people at your uh, your office very happy. Yeah, it is a tremendous service. Uh, the ability to to use that in a bring your own device setting. So I've got my own iPad, but I can use it at work because we've got Box.net. Um, and you know, it's a large corporation, so you get the security emails all the time. Here, here are the policies. Here's what you can do and can't do. Here are the documents that can show up in Box, and here are the ones that have to stay on on your machine. Um, so yeah, I use Hazel um, to do all of that work. It's a tremendous program. I also use it. I've got a couple of filters that I've just recently built in on security. So I search for the the term highly confidential and a couple other that um, can't go up to box.net. And I have Hazel just shunt that off onto my machine instead of into, into the cloud. Oh, that's a good idea. So if, if the email has the words, you know, certain keywords, confidential or highly confidential or for your eyes only or whatever terms your organization uses, Hazel can also pull that out as a tag and say, oh, nope, this isn't going to the inbox. This is going somewhere else. Yeah, as we like to say, it keeps us more compliant when we do that. So, yeah, I've got a couple of Hazel scripts now that are looking and trying to scrub and keep me, keep me clean versus the policies they want me to, to use. Cool. Very cool. Well, th- this sounds like a fascinating system. How long did it take you to put all this together? Or, I'm sure it's still a work in progress in many respects. Yeah, it is. Actually, this is, uh, I, I tend to focus on one topic, so I did note-taking over about nine months, and I think uh, the filing's been going since then. So it's probably a, another good year that I've been working on the filing system and keep tweaking that. Excellent. Uh, well, Chris, you have most of this, I think, written up in your in your blog, and you've sent us a couple of links that we're going to put in the show notes, but is that the best place for people to find you, for people to be able to follow this and and put a similar system together if they decide they wanted to do that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, And Chris, why don't you tell people a little bit about your blog and what you post there and and where they can find you? Yeah, so the site is at scrubs with a two B, so S-C-R-U-B-B-S dot M-E. What I put up on the site is almost exclusively um, content based on what I'm trying to do to get my workflows in place. So as I said, and you know, taking notes in a corporate environment was the first one, uh, my filing system next, and now I'm uh, trying to figure out how I can stop living in email even more and become more productive. I do have links to some of my favorite shows, uh, obviously Mac Power users, uh, but certainly uh, Mac Drifter and a, a few other folks. So you can find me there. Um, it'll make a... a if you've got any uh, comments, anything that you are looking for help on, any questions, certainly just leave a comment there. I've got an email address. Uh, you can uh, find it at the site, and you can send me questions, and I'll try and get back to you. 
Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time this morning to to join us. We really appreciate you coming on the show and, and hope to have more guests on, on Mac Power Users Live in the future. And, and Wonderful. Chris, thanks. thanks. For, thanks for all the time you're putting into scrubs.me because it shows that there's a lot of love going to that site. And I love it when people share information like you've been doing. Uh, thanks very much. It's a, it's a lot of fun and I do want to get back to the community and uh, very much appreciate the chance to be on the show and uh, look forward to listening to more of the, the fine tips that you guys provide for us. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, uh, great getting started with Chris. You know, David, I love these uh, these live shows. It's, you know, we record at least once a week, sometimes twice a week, but there's just something about doing it live in front of the chat room that brings a level of excitement to the show, at least yeah, for me. I'm, I, the only problem is when we do the regular shows, I'm not very good at um, watching the chat room and like focusing on a content show. Maybe we should start doing some of the workflow shows with the live chat, though. Maybe. Maybe yeah. we should. Definitely. Hey, before we get going, we've got a lot of feedback to cover. Let's cover our first sponsor. And uh, very pleased to announce we have a new sponsor for the show, and that's Backblaze, which is the premier online unlimited backup system. So uh, in the past, I've talked about how I wasn't all that excited about these online backup systems, if you go back into the old archives of the show. But about two years ago, I signed up with Backblaze. And man, I really like it. I just like the idea that for $5 a month, all my data gets backed up. And I, I think it was partly because you know the data the upload speeds have got much better now and the services have got much better uh, but I, I've really enjoyed the idea for the last couple of years that no matter what goes wrong with all the backups I've got going on in my house, all my key data is up at the Backblaze backup system and now they're here uh, sponsoring the show and we really appreciate that. So what do you get? For five dollars a month you get unlimited and unthrottled backup. That's unlimited data, unlimited file size, unlimited file types, and unlimited direct connect external drives. If you've got a drive connected into your computer that's backing up to Backblaze, you're going to get it. And all that is just $5 a month. They have over 100 petabytes of data backed up. Petabytes, Katie. That's Can like, you explain to me what a petabyte is? I, I think it has something to do with like, that's like five commander datas, you know, right up mm, there okay. in the Backblaze cloud. And uh, they have restored over 5 billion files. So you, you've got no problem. If you back up to these guys, you're going to get your data back. They also have an iOS app, which allows you to access and share any of the files that you've backed up. So in addition to giving you a great backup system, it also gives you a remote access solution for your key data. Uh, you can restore one file or all of your files easily with the web restore button. Uh, the company was founded by ex-Apple engineers, so Backblaze runs native on your Mac and on Mavericks, and it just runs like a charm. It doesn't have any process information. I've been watching it in my menu bar as it's gone over the you know couple of years, and I've just never had any issues. There's no add-ons or gimmicks or additional charges. You just pay 5 bucks a month per computer for unlimited, unthrottled backup. It's the simplest online backup program to use. You can just install it, and it does the rest. Now, if you're not sure about this, like I was a few years ago, there's a 15-day trial. You don't even have to put a credit card in. You just sign up for the 15-day trial. You can see how fast it'll be backing up your data, and you can see how the software operates. They've got a great little menu bar application where you can control the throttling. 
Or another thing to do I would recommend is if you know somebody that's not backing up and you know that they're the kind of person who's not going to be plugging in the external drive to back up, just give them a gift for $50 for an entire year. Uh, you can back up their hard drive for them. And uh, this would be really good for family members that uh, need this backup. And even better for the significant other in your life who is going to blame you when something goes wrong and they don't have a backup. So so give yourself some uh, some relief there and get yourself a year of backblaze. Um, check it out. They've got a website set up just for Mac Power Users listeners. It's at backblaze.com slash MPU. It's real important you go there if that's where you're going to get it. That helps them know that it's the Mac Power Users listeners that they're finding. And check it out, everybody, because it is time to look into a serious online backup solution. And for just 5 bucks a month or $50 a year, you're going to have that solved with backblaze.com. Thank you, Backblaze, for sponsoring the show. All right. Well, we got a slew of of things to cover today, a bunch of different topics. And I guess we're going to kick it off with a topic that I didn't really give a whole lot of thought of, but that is commuting. And Metlin uh, wrote in, and I hope I'm pronouncing their name correctly, and said, may I suggest that you do a show on commuting workflows? What kinds of tools, tips do you have for people to be productive during the commute to and from work? Uh, specifically two questions. First, how do you listen to podcasts and audiobooks if you have a 97 Toyota? I think that was directed towards me. I.e., what kind of hardware do you have connected to your phone in the car? I presume your car doesn't have Bluetooth. And secondly, if you add an action item that comes to your mind on the way to or from home or work, how do you record it? Do you have an external tape recorder or what? Uh, You know, so many people spend hours uh, a day or hours a week in the car commuting back and forth. And I'm incredibly fortunate that my commute is about 10 minutes every day back and forth. And, um, you know, sometimes that doesn't give me quite as much time as I wish it would to listen to podcasts and, and audiobooks. But that really is a lot of productivity time lost. And I guess we should preface this with, of course, first and foremost, when you're in the car, you're, you're, primary responsibility is to be a safe driver um, and, and to look out for yourself and everybody else on the roadway. So you certainly, uh, whatever work you want to be doing while you're commuting, you, you want to make sure that you're focused on that and, and that you're safe. But there certainly are things that you can do either to pass the time or to be productive or to continue to educate yourself while you're in the car. Yeah. And, and so, Katie, how are you getting around this problem? Well, I still do have my 1997 Toyota, and I'm not getting rid of it anytime soon. But the beauty of having a much older car like I do, although it's not that old, geez, uh, is that most of those cars have pretty standard, and I may get this terminology wrong because uh, I'm not a car person, but in-dash audio systems, meaning you know, a, a car of that age and probably a car that's about you know, 8 or 10 years old or so isn't going to have this really fancy audio deck. And most of those are very standard decks that you can just pull out and pull back in. And I've actually replaced the um, the audio deck in my car twice now. I replaced it once when the original iPod came out to put something in that had a 30-pin connector. And then after the adapters that I had to connect on top of each other came about, no joke, about six or seven inches long, I decided it was time to replace that deck again. And this time I got a deck that had a direct aux in, a USB in, as well as a Bluetooth connection. And each of those times that I replaced that audio deck, 
in total, it was sub $300 to buy a relatively inexpensive audio deck. Uh, I'm not an audiophile, so I wasn't swapping out major speakers or anything um, and get the latest technology, at least in, or not the latest technology, but but newer technology in my car that allows me to connect up my iPhone, uh, at least in terms of, of syncing and charging. So I do have Bluetooth in my car, um, both uh, hands-free for me to make conversations. They They mounted a little microphone up in my dash and uh, as well as for me to to listen to podcasts, so that may be there are lots of solutions if you have an older car for for adding Bluetooth. Now, my mother's car, I think, is a two thousand four or two thousand five uh, Lexus that has kind of a fancy um, dash that is going to be more complicated. She can't just you know, for example, rip out that that audio component. And so the the temporary solution we found to her, although it's not a great solution when we travel, is we we actually bought one of those cassette adapters for for her iPhone, and you know it looks like we're we're traveling back to the '80s, sticking a cassette in her uh, in in her adapter and plugging it into the iPhone. But uh, if you go talk to, I mean, maybe a Best Buy or something like that, but but really truly a car shop, there are usually solutions that they can install for you aftermarket that will allow you to. to um, to connect up with without it being too cost prohibitive. I'd be really impressed if you like retrofitted an eight track in there. I don't think so. Do you even know what an eight track is? Katie? I I do know what an eight track is. Yes. Yeah. I've got a, um, so I have like you, I had an older car. I have an an aging Subaru and it's a great car. I love it. But my daughter learned how to drive and we needed a car for her. So I got it myself a new Ford a couple of years ago. And she's got my Subaru that I love. And uh, the problem with the Ford is it's got this sync service in it. So I thought it was going to be great when I got it. In fact, uh, I paid extra for kind of the, the sync super in-dash system. And it's just, it's been terrible for me, honestly. <laughs> it has a Bluetooth sync, but it doesn't stick, you know. So sometimes it'll work fine for like a week or two. And then one day it'll just stop working when I'm driving down the road. And you could... I could see myself getting in an accident trying to keep the thing working. Uh, it's got to such a point that I make a point of keeping my phone. There's like a, um, a, a elbow rest in my car on my right side as I'm driving. I just put my phone in there and close the lid on it when I drive. So I'm not tempted to pull it out and try and figure out why it stopped working with my sync system. One time I was driving down the road and I kid you not, I got a blue screen of death on my sync system. Now, I would have had to pull over and take a picture of that. I, I was driving like 60 miles down the road on the freeway. If not, I would have taken a picture of it. I've only seen it once. Yeah, And, and someone in the chat room's noticing that even Microsoft has given up on sync and Ford is not going to use it anymore and blah, blah, blah. So I've got that system. They do have a way for me to plug in an analog um, plug and just plug it into the headphone jack which is the easiest way for me to listen to music on it. And and that's the kind of the way that works. I've talked in the past about the show. I like Instacast because I do listen a lot to podcasts while I'm sitting at a Mac and I like the syncing ability. So usually what I'll do on a long trip is I'll just either, if the Bluetooth is working, I'll just play it through Instacast or I'll plug it in through the analog and just let it play. And then once the podcast or whatever I'm listening to is done, I'll switch over and just listen to music or just turn it off. Um, the other question that Metin asked about is how you record stuff while you're commuting, like if you're recording your voice or dictation stuff. Um, I've talked in the past about that. I have a little Sony recorder. I went looking on on Amazon to put it in the show notes, and they don't make it anymore. 
but any recorder will do as long as you're happy with it. Make sure it records to wave format though, because that is um, what you're going to need with drag and dictate to, to dictate it on the backside. Yeah. Now I, I don't do a lot of dictation on my commute just because my commute is, is very short. It's 10 minutes, but I, I will think of things as I'm, I'm driving around town. So for that, I use the Siri to OmniFocus trick for collecting tasks. And I know you did a video on that on Max Sparky, but it's, it's incredibly easy to set up, or you could just use Siri to reminders if you use reminders as your, um, as your task management solution. But in the OmniFocus settings, there's an option to connect it to reminders and which reminders list do you want to. And usually I'll just, you know, grab the phone and press the button and say, uh, remind me to call David when I get home. And boom, it's it's done. And because it's Bluetooth, it picks me up. Although sometimes the Bluetooth in my car audio is not as good as the microphone audio on the on the iPhone. So that's sometimes a little problematic, and you'll you'll end up with all kinds of weird things just because it didn't understand me. But it's it's usually close enough to to figure it out. But that's about the extent um, of the productivity things that I do. Obviously, I listen to quite a few podcasts and I listen to audiobooks a bit in the car. I usually don't listen to music on short commutes. I usually will listen to music on on long commutes. But occasionally I will do dictation into drafts and and follow up on those things later. I'm pretty careful about not doing that stuff frankly when I'm driving. But yeah. the uh but the recorder is nice. I, you know, pulling out the recorder cuz it's a physical button you can push. Um the other thing I guess somewhat related to commuting is I've talked about this in the past. I think I even covered a bit on the dictation show, but this app, application called Dictate. Yes. In fact, that um, it's a really great application, and it does some really good stuff. I'm going to have to put it in the show notes. It's called Dictate Plus Connect is the one I'm using. I'm sorry. And the, on the phone, it just shows up as Dictate. And it does a really good job. You can automate the buttons. So I'm doing increasingly a lot of dictation on the phone directly and not using the Sony recorder. So if you don't want to spend the money on a recorder with physical buttons, Dictate Plus Connect may be a good answer. All right. Well, while we're on the topic of commuting, uh, Julie wrote in, or Julia rather, wrote in with a tip about uh, tracking miles. And a lot of us have to keep track of our miles, uh, both business and personal for tax purposes. And she's got a very clever way to do that. So let's let's take a listen. Hi, this is Julia. And I found a way to automate the tracking of my business versus personal miles. And this has been a really tedious and time-consuming task for me, making a manual spreadsheet from all these little handwritten entries. Um, But now what I'm doing is I created two different recipes on if this and that, and I'm simply texting um, to if this and that and adding a row to one of two Google Docs spreadsheets. And the text either has a tag P miles for personal miles and B miles for business miles. And this process takes about the same amount of time that it takes to write down in the little book. So it's about equal there. But the big time savings will come next year when all I need to do is add a sum column on these spreadsheets. And then I've got my totals for taxes. Hooray! So I did share my recipes on If This and That, and you can find them by searching for Track Business Miles or Track Personal Miles. And I hope this helps. Yeah, I thought that was a really good idea. And we're going to put the, the link in. And I like that she said hooray in her, in her <laughs> recording. 
Yeah. Um, I just put those links in the chat room for the chat room who's following us live, and they will also be in the show notes. Thanks to Hay for putting together those show notes for us on the on the live shows. I was just thinking about this as she was talking through it, and I like the idea of using a text message to if this, then that to track it. I wonder if you could take some of the legwork out of this, and perhaps she does already, by um, using a text expander snippet and um, perhaps maybe Launch Center Pro to automate some of this so you get it down to just maybe one button press and then typing in the number of miles. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. So that was the only – or maybe drafts or something like – a draft section yeah. or something like There's that. There's so many ways to automate, automate – further automate this. It, it also would be cool if – you know, these navigation apps would kind of manage this for you. It seems like an opportunity and because it's software based now, it wouldn't be that hard. But, um, the idea of having your own, you know, Google spreadsheet with all this stuff in it makes a lot of sense too. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, there's some really neat, if this, then that recipes for integrating with Google spreadsheet. Like some people use it, um, as, as almost a, a time tracker. So, you know, log my time when I go into this zone and log my time when I leave this zone. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Peter in the chat room is saying he would do it with launch center pro with a number keyboard. That, that would be a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, where, what are the other parts in your life that you need to track digits? And, uh, you know, this, this, I think this rule could go up much wider. Yeah, certainly could. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the topic of paperless, one that I, I know is near and dear to your heart. Uh, and Quentin wrote in with some um, tips about his paperless workflow that I thought were interesting. So let's have a listen. Hello, David and Katie. This is Quentin Stafford-Fraser calling from Cambridge in England. And I wanted to share some of the ideas I've been using in my paperless workflow. Um, which follows fairly closely the Sparks-Floyd methodology, um, but has some particular tweaks uh, which might be of general interest to users and particularly for for listeners who have older or perhaps non-Fujitsu scanners. So I do have a Fujitsu scanner. I have a, a ScanSnap S500M, which is pretty elderly now, uh, but it still works fine, which is a tribute to Fujitsu. I love it as everybody else loves their ScanSnaps. Um, but mine does come with some older software. Uh, the ScanSnap Manager software that I've got is no longer officially supported under Mountalion or Maverick, but it basically still works just fine for me. Um, but it doesn't have any OCR. It predates when they started putting OCR in there, so I use PDF Pen Pro and a little bit of Apple Script to do the OCRing. My scans basically go through a pipeline of uh, four different stages, uh, which are represented by different folders on the disk. So when I scan a document, it goes into a folder called Scan Inbox. From there, it gets OCR'd and moved into a folder called Post OCR. And there I have various rules that try to recognize the contents and give it a name based on whether I can tell that it's a, an electricity bill or something. Um, and the last rule in that Post OCR folder, uh, if needed, prefixes it with today's date, if it doesn't already have one on there, and then moves it into a folder called Post Rename. So it's now been scanned, it's been OCR'd, it's been renamed automatically. And the only thing that really happens in post-rename is it runs an automator action which displays it in preview, so I can see exactly which document I'm talking about. That's useful if you've got a pipeline of these things going on. And it asks uh, for a name. Um, it 
shows the the file name as it currently stands and lets you rename it. And that allows you just to check that um, that if it has given it a name automatically, that it's basically got it right. And uh, if it hasn't, it, that this is where you can edit one very easily while looking at the document itself. Um, and then finally automatically moves it to um, my action folder, which is when all the main rules kick in to file the documents in, in the appropriate places based mostly on their file name. So I have these four stages and documents can be inserted at any stage. So if I've got a PDF that doesn't need OCRing, perhaps because I've exported it from a web page, for example, I can drop it in as a later folder. If it doesn't need renaming, perhaps because I'm saving the PDF and I can give it the name then, I, it can go even later in the process and so on. So it's mostly Hazel rules that move the document from one stage to the next stage, um, except for the very first one because I found that with my scanner software, Hazel gets confused with multi-page documents. I think the software must close it after each page and reopen it again, and so Hazel can't tell when the document is complete, and it would sometimes try and transfer it or do something else with it um, before the scan had actually finished. But the scanning software does know when the process is completed, and you can tell it to run a particular application, typically Preview or Photoshop or whatever you want, when your scan is completed. So what I get it to run is a little automated workflow, which after the scan is done, it then runs it through PDF Pen Pro to OCR it, and then moves it into my post OCR folder. And Hazel handles everything from there. Now, the main problem with a multi-stage pipeline like this is that if you stick your document in at the beginning and it doesn't come out at the end, you've got to work out how far it got. You've got to look through the folders and see where it got stuck and which rule didn't work and so forth. And when I heard about Keyboard Maestro on Mac Power Users, I realized, ah, this could help me here. Because when the scanner is connected or turned on, or in the case of the ScanSnap, when you just open the lid, um, Keyboard Maestro can detect that. I know Katie uses this to start or stop the uh, scanner software. I use it uh, with some Keyboard Maestro rules to pop up on the right-hand side of my screen the four folders that represent the four stages in my pipeline. So then, when you scan a document, you can see it appear in the folder at the top, and the rules kick in, and it moves to the folder below, and so on. And you can see it trickle down through your, your pipeline as you sit back and sip your coffee and watch your automation system do all the work for you. It's, uh, it's very satisfying. And when you close the lid, um, all of those folders uh, are neatly tidied up and leave you a nice clean desktop again. Here's one final tip for people who are maybe embarking on a paperless workflow, but aren't quite confident enough yet to discard all of their paper and shred it after they've scanned it, uh, as I wasn't when I started. The most useful scanning accessory I found cost me less than $10, and I think I got it from eBay, but you could get them from all over the place, and it's a rubber stamp. It's one of those self-inking ones, uh, and I got it customised to say the word SCANNED. And so whenever I have scanned something, but I'm not quite confident enough to throw it away yet, um, I stamp it with the scanned stamp and put it in my filing cabinet. At some point in the future, I'm going to start going through that filing cabinet and throwing out all my old paper. And I will be confident that anything that has that red stamp on it, I can throw away because I know it's already on my hard disk. Well, I hope some of that's useful and thanks very much for a great show. Well, thanks, Quentin. I thought that was a really good paperless workflow. I, I can just imagine him sitting there watching the file migrate through his four folders, knowing that his robots are doing all his bidding for him. That must feel good, right?
Yeah. And I, the scan stamp is a really good idea, especially in a home environment, if you're not quite sure if you're ready to get rid of this stuff, but I think especially in a work environment. Yeah, so we you do know, that what in my you, What you've got in the machine and what you don't. Yeah, we we have we have scan snap scanned stamps spread around the office. So whenever you scan something, that's one of the steps you take at home. Um, I'm I think I'm more comfortable than Quentin is with just junking stuff. So as soon as I scan it, it goes into a into a folder that goes into this to the shredder or to the trash. Yeah. Well, um, we've got a couple of more tips and then a couple of questions coming up. But uh, before we go there, I do want to take a quick break and thank our second sponsor for this episode. And that is our good friends over at 1Password. And you've all probably heard us talk about 1Password by now. Uh, we love 1Password because it is probably the single most important thing that you can do to up your security on the internet, on your Mac, uh, really just in life is by using strong, unique passwords across multiple across all of your different websites and not repeating that password across sites. Because if one site gets compromised, then you're you're likely to have multiple sites compromised. We love one password because it's multi-platform. It works on the Mac, it works on the PC, it works on the iPhone, it works on the iPad. They even have a reader for Android. So you have all of your passwords everywhere because it will sync either via iCloud or via Dropbox, and everything is everywhere whenever you need it. But 1Password just did a total revamp of version 2.5 for their iOS app. And I think they teased this a little bit in our Mac uh, World show. We talked to Dave and Rustem a little bit about uh, 1Password 2.5 for iOS. It wasn't available then, but it is now. And if you're already a 1Password version 2 owner, this is a free upgrade. If you don't have 1Password, well, you may want to go grab it. It might still be on sale by the time you read this. They were having a 50% off launch sale for 1Password for iOS. Uh, but even not, you want to just go grab it because the redesign for iOS 7 is absolutely gorgeous. And probably a few features that they added, My the one feature at the top of my list, and I think it was at the top of everyone's list, um, is that they've now made search accessible at the top uh, of all the categories in 1Password. So you can search through all of your different uh, logins, serial numbers, uh, wallet items, information, whatever. You can find it now one click within 1Password. They also now support all of Apple's sharing protocols. So you can now share via AirDrop, um, or you can share by email or however you want to share things to conveniently share items. And that's one of the things they've done with 1Password version 2.5 for iOS is they have really made it a lot easier now for people in the same family or perhaps even in the same business institution uh, to share passwords because now 1Password 2.5 for iOS has support for multiple vaults and allows you to sync shared vaults with different Dropbox accounts. And these are, are great features for families that are sharing passwords or families that are sharing password accounts or probably even small businesses. And they've even made improvements to the 1Password browser and a whole lot more. If you haven't had a chance to check out 1Password version 2.5 for iOS, make sure you grab it as a download or go pick it up in the App Store. Uh, it is just a stunning update. They've squashed some bugs. They've even made the app leaner and meaner. Uh, it's just a beautiful update, and uh, I can't say enough great things about it. Uh, you can find more information over at onepassword.com. You can pick up one password for uh, Mac uh, for $49.99. That's either from their site or in the Mac App Store. And if you're a slider, if you use Mac and Windows, you can pick up a Mac and Windows bundle off their site for $69.99. And don't forget while you're there to grab the iOS app as well. And thanks, OnePassword, uh, for continuing to sponsor Mac Power users. 
So there's a lot of chat in the um, chat room about show titles because we usually put very practical show titles on our shows. But now we're talking about maybe it needs to be the Sparks Floyd methodology. Because <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever. It was. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Bob Hoskins passed away, who we all just a great actor. And I was watching some of his old stuff and he used to do a literacy show in the UK in the seventies. And so I watched a little clip from it and they were teaching people how to read the word coffee. And she said they were six exquisite letters. And I got thinking, you know, in the UK, they even teach literacy with more class than we do in the U S <laughs> six exquisite letters and coffee. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, um, we did we did get some more feedback, and uh, and one of them was about the Apple TV for AirPlay Audio, and we've kind of been going back and forth lately about talking about ways to play audio in our homes. And Mark wrote in, and he said that the discussion about the Apple TV sounded um, as the sound source for the AirPlay made it sound like we didn't know that you can use the Apple TV for AirPlay Audio purposes. So without turning on the TV, you can play the AirPlay through your stereo system. Um, yeah, I did know that. I just don't use it that way, but I guess we should have made it explicit. Um, so Mark has an expensive sound system, and he's got an Apple TV plugged into it with no TV at all, which I thought was kind of odd. But, you know, I get it. He's kind of got it doing the job of an Airport Express, in essence. And so it's an AirPlay source. So he goes to the optical out of his Apple TV and into his sound system. Uh, he made the point that if you have a TV, you could still take the optical out of the Apple TV and put it into your sound system and not put it into your television. And that way you could play your TV through your stereo and you can also play music through your stereo. Um, the reason I don't really use it that way is because I've you know invested in the Sonos system and I like the ability to play to all the speakers in the house, just not the ones around the TV. And... Um, and I have a play bar now. I don't know if I said that before, Kitty. I have a play bar that goes under the TV. So I do have a very nice sound system attached to the TV, but I also have some other Sonos sprinkled throughout the house, and I want to get to all of them. They've gotten and, you, haven't they? Yeah, they, I'm, I'm totally in. I'm totally in. I, I have now the subwoofer, the play bar, and I have another Play 5. So the whole, the whole main area of my house sounds great now. Yikes. Well, yeah. I think this is a, a perfect setup for me. I do not have the soundbar. I'm not buying the soundbar. I'm not buying the Sonos soundbar. I'm, you know that I'm going to end up buying the Sonos soundbar at some point. Well, if you're getting into the Sonos, I mean, save your money and at some point get one. It really is nice. They've got some really great settings. Like at night, you can have it play. Um, it changes the audio. So it, it's okay at night without waking up the kids. It's, they've got one where it makes the voices louder, you know, because sometimes you watch movies with a lot of explosions in them. Uh, the explosion, the voices are too soft, so you turn it up, and then the explosion comes, and it rocks the house. They've got a setting to kind of adjust for that. It, it's very nice. Yeah. But right now I have just a standard sound bar, and um, it, mine's a fairly inexpensive one. It was about $200, and it, it, I think they call it a 2.1 setup because it's the sound bar, and then it's a wireless subwoofer that I, I have a fairly small living room, and, and so it works well for me. And it does have – it has multiple inputs, and so – I think that's a great idea is I can plug my TV in via HDMI and I can have that as my main input. But then I could also additionally plug in my Apple TV via optical, which means I can now using AirPlay because I don't have the Sonos set up yet at my house, but I, I'm pretty close to going there. Um, but I could use AirPlay and I could just switch the input on my soundbar from the HDMI input to the optical input 
And now I can airplay to my speakers in my living room, but I don't have to have the TV on, which is nice. Yeah. And the next thing I'm going to buy is a component for my bedroom. So then I can have the upstairs and the downstairs, which will be pretty cool. But that's uh, that's on the list. Maybe Father's Day. Um, uh, one last thing about Sonos is we did get quite a bit of feedback every time we bring it up, people just asking the question. And I think for people who already own the system, they probably know this, but um, it doesn't do airplay natively. There's not in the Sonos app a button where you can just share to airplay. The workaround on that is if you've got an extra Airport Express, one of those little tiny routers Apple has, they have an audio out on it. So you can, I have mine plugged into the wall and then I have the audio out of that going into the Sonos. So when I'm in iTunes or Instacast or any anything that plays audio on my phone, I can just open up the you know the menu at the bottom of the phone and I can say uses the audio source um the Airport Express which I've conveniently renamed as Sonos and then it plays through all the Sonos speakers in the house. How does that work um because AirPlay can sometimes be spotty. And I know the ne- the, the beauty of the Sonos is it People love the the rock solid. It seems to be a much more rock solid network. Are are people and does that seem to work for you? Because I listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah, well, it, it works fine. I, I mean, I don't have. A, I kind of do it both ways. Um, sometimes I'm in the Sonos app. I've recently started playing with Beats music. I'm not sure if I'm going to stick with it or not. But Chris Breen at Macworld told me about it, and I like that they have human created playlists. So there's some interesting stuff in there. Yeah, and. Sonos has support for that. So like I run that just from the Sonos app and in the Sonos app on your phone, you can play anything from your iTunes library. So you can really go either direction, but to the extent people ask the question, can you airplay to it? Yes, you can, but it's going to cost you another hundred bucks because you're going to have to get an airport express unless you've got one sitting around. Well, what I was thinking about doing, because of course, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all in is going ahead and getting the play bar because that would replace the, um, uh, the, the current, um, soundbar that I have in my TV and the way that my network is set up, my airport extreme is, is right there at the TV. That's just where I keep it. That's where everything comes in is, is in that media cabinet. And then I would be able to direct connect into that. And then I could have, you know, the other speakers throughout the house. That would work. That sounds expensive, but yeah, I, you know, I'm heading that way. Every everybody pretty, I talk to loves it. I've never it, heard of a Sonos owner who's unhappy. It's pretty. It's pretty nice. It's kind of like buying a Mac. You know, you spend a little bit more to get a computer, but it's one that makes you very happy. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, we also heard from Shane talking about network volumes switching gears. Uh, Shane said that he has a question he's, that's been bugging him, and he's got the same problem. He had a Drobo and a Synology. And um, after he mounts via login items, but eventually the mounts go away. So, you know, he assumes it's inactivity or timeout or something. But uh, he was asking, is there any way to make sure you can keep a network volume mounted? Yeah, I I do this with my, my Drobo. And the way that I walk through this is... I mount my Drobo via AFP, although I think I'm going to convert this over to SMB because when we had our server show, Todd was telling us about how SMB is, is how Apple is moving. And I, I think that will still work with the Drobo. Uh, but I created a little Apple script that will mount my Drobo by AFP. And the way that I did this is I need to know now what is the IP address on my local network of my Drobo. And so I went into my airport extreme router and I created DHCP reservation so that my my Drobo would always have the same IP address on my network. You with me so far? I'm with you. 
Okay. So my Drobo always has the same IP address on my network. It's like, I don't remember what it is, but I, I, I know what it is. And it's always the same IP address on my network. And so then I have an Apple script that says, hey, it's a, it's a very short Apple script, mount via AFP the volume at, at this address. And so if you put the Drobo in your login items, it will automatically mount at login, which is great, but I don't log into my computer multiple times a day. So I've created this Apple script and I just saved it in my documents folder or whatever. And I've done a couple of things that will cause that script to rerun throughout the day. Um, one of the tools that I use for that is I use a tool called Lingon, L-I-N-G-O-N. It's available in the Mac App Store. And like Klingon without the K. There you go. And what it will do is it will run um, – I, I, I used to call them your um, your launch demons, but I, I don't think that's what they were called. And that's what they were called in previous versions of the OS. I don't think that's what they were called now. Um, but it has the ability to run things in the background. So I think I have it set that every hour or every two hours – it runs that Apple script. So at least I know that every hour, every two hours, that that script is getting running, run. And so therefore, if it's not already mounted, uh, that network attached device, in my case, the Drobo, is getting remounted. The other thing that I do, you still there? No, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. The other thing that I do is I've set up a keyboard maestro script. And, you know, you can set keyboard maestro to trigger um, based on a system event such as connecting to a Wi-Fi network. Yeah. So I, I, I and that's especially important for my laptop. So if I take my laptop and put it to sleep and wake it up or um, take it out of the house and bring it back, I've set a keyboard maestro script that when my laptop connects to my home network, it will run that script. Or you could even run it on a delay. I mean, there's a lot of ways you can make sure that happens. I was looking while you were talking. It used to be you could even set a a Apple script to run out of the calendar app under iCal mm-hmm. yep, back when it was iCal. I don't think you can do that anymore. I don't see it in here at least. You can do it with Automator. So what you can do is you can create an Automator action to run an Apple script, and you can tie it to an iCal alarm. Yeah, okay. Well, that would make sense. So so there's several ways you can run. The the trick is getting the Apple script built in the first place, and then you're home free. Um, Katie, have you ever blogged how you put that script together? Um, Maybe. It's been a while. I'll have to go back and look. I can yeah, I can you, I can copy and paste and share the script. Yeah, if you have it, you should. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dorothy, our friend Dorothy, helped me with that script quite a bit. I put together a very very basic three line script, um, and Dorothy said, "I think I can help you out with this." And she wrote a, a much better um, Apple script that says, "Well, but only mounted if it's if it's connected if you're on the same network." Blah blah blah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll share that script with her permission. Okay, we'll find out and hopefully get that out there for everybody. Um, next was we heard about Mac configuration options from Michael, and he wrote that he has a question about upgrading hardware, which I guess isn't necessarily the most interesting or sexy point of view you might want to give to a listener, but I'm thinking that I'm not the only one who doesn't have the latest, greatest tech kit. Since I'm financially limited, I have to make do with what I've got and dream about what great gear is available. Someday, I guess, it's like being kind of the person who always drives an older car but not the brand new one there's nothing so wrong with question, my car hey you know what, hey i remember i remember uh so here we go uh the first uh imac died he chose to buy a 2010 i7 27 inch with a one terabyte 7200 7200 uh eight gigabyte of ram one gigabyte vram 
uh, with the explicit plan to upgrade parts to get bigger bang for the user experience, can he please provide opportunities or point of view on the options? First one was buy a two or three terabyte hybrid drive and pull the existing terabyte out, uh, leaving only the optical drive alone and maybe upgrading the RAM to 16 or second was to buy a 240 gigabyte SSD and use the OWC kit to pull and replace the optical and then put something on the outside of the computer. So if I can kind of back up and try to summarize, I, I thought about you when I grabbed this email is that this is, I thought about this because this is kind of the situation that you're in with your family iMac. Exactly. We don't, we don't have a lot of onboard storage on the Mac. We have to attach external storage to make it work. I, um, I, I got it, it. I got it out of the refurb store when I bought it and you know, it was, it was the one that was available and it was like ridiculously cheap. I got like $700 off the retail price. Oh wow. Um, and, and we've been fine with it and it, and it runs, we've got an external, uh, drive connected to it. Uh, but we don't really use it that much more as the kids get older. Everybody now does have their own laptop and, and the computer is fine. It's not breaking, but like when I do high intensity things on it, like heavy duty screencasting and even to some extent podcasting, it sometimes gives me a wonkiness. So I rebuilt it and, you know, I did kind of the nuke and pave and I'm still getting wonkiness and I'm not sure what's going on, but it's out of warranty. And, um, if I had it to do over again, I probably would have taken a hybrid drive or a big internal drive over just a relatively small, but really fast SSD inside. Yeah. So the basic question is, do you go with a hybrid drive, which is not going to be as fast as an SSD, but it's going to give you the storage or do you go with an SSD and then do external storage? And, and you're actually saying you probably would have done the opposite of what you actually did now. Yeah. Having dealt with it because it's so much work. Uh, we constant, my kids, even though I have this external drives, my kids are doing videos all the time and they, they just run it up to fill the drive. They don't, you know, they don't even really think about it. So if I was managing it myself, it'd be a lot easier, but as a shared family computer, just putting a big pool of storage on it probably would have been the better solution. And I think, I think you really have to do an analysis of how that machine is going to be used because if you're not going to use that space, if don't buy the extra hard drive space just to have the extra hard drive space. I mean, so few people actually, and I realize that we're talking to the Mac Power user listener audience, so we may be not normal people, but so few people are ever going to fill up their hard drives or ever going to come close to fill up their hard drives. And most normal folks are going to be so much happier with a smaller SSD than they will be with a much larger hybrid drive. But you really have to analyze how you're going to use it. All right, cool. I mean, if you can fit within the smaller, faster drive, you should go for it. That's that's the way. Hey, um, you know, that actually leads nicely to our next sponsor, which is Belkin. And uh, Belkin has, because I'm kind of slowly divorcing myself from this iMac, I've been increasingly finding that I've got my laptop on my desk with about 17 different things plugged into it. And uh, Belkin has uh, got this great Thunderbolt Express docket. Uh, they've got a $100 price drop on it. It's only $199. And what it allows you to do is access up to eight desktop devices with one cable. So I've got it set up at the back of my desk, kind of out of the way, and I've got plugged into it the scan snap and the microphone, all the things that I'm always plugging into my laptop. 
and I've got one Thunderbolt cable coming into it. So the inputs on this thing are two Thunderbolt ports, one upstream, one downstream for daisy chaining up to for five additional devices, uh, three USB 3.0 ports, one FireWire 800. Yeah, remember FireWire 800? Now you can get it into your Mac. Uh, one gigabit at Ethernet port, a 3.5 millimeter audio out port, and a 3.5 millimeter audio in port. So you, I've got that in the back corner, and then I've got one Thunderbolt cable coming in. So I take my Mac, and I just plug it in, and I've got all those devices plugged in without having to do all the craziness. Uh, the uh, It's up to 20 times faster than USB 2.0 and 12 times faster than FireWire 800 because it works everything through this Thunderbolt. You can transfer an entire uh, high-definition movie in 30 seconds. It's great. Uh, you can sync a year's worth of continuous music in 10 minutes. And like I said, you can daisy chain up to five Thunderbolt devices out of this device. So we're really, I'm really digging having this, this thing on my desk. And as the iMac goes away, I'm using it more and more. Uh, you can get a, a promo code. It's, it's the podcast 10 at Belkin.com and you can get 10% off the entire shopping cart. Now that's not just the Belkin Thunderbolt Express dock, but that may be your Wemos and all the other stuff that you can get from Belkin. I mean, they're just one of my favorite accessory makers for the Mac. And also don't forget about our new Wemo IFTTT contest. And uh, we need to, you know, I want to see the listeners step it up on this because I want to get some good recipes out of this. So Belkin wants to know what creative ideas you have to combine If This Then That and Wemo. So to enter, create a unique recipe on the uh, If This Then That featuring the Wemo and share it with the IFTTT community and then share your recipe on Twitter with the hashtag uh, hashtag W-E-M-O-M-P-U, so Wemo MPU, so they can find it. The contest runs through May 18th, so there's not much time left. And at the end of the run, uh, in conjunction with Belkin, we're going to select some of our favorite recipes and send out some free Wemo light switches. So find out more details in the contest at MacPowerUsers.com. And thank you, Belkin, for sponsoring the show. All right, so this uh, this next category, I didn't really know what to call it, but how about just uh, awesome random tips from listeners? Is that right? I think that's a good name for it. Okay, because cool. there are some awesome random tips here. There are some awesome random tips. Uh, well, let's let's start off with with Greg, who uh, talks about a, a long time frustration of everybody's, and that's paying your bills and and figuring out if you actually paid them and and keeping receipts. So here's Greg. Hi, David and Katie. My name is Greg. And I'm just sending you a couple of workflows for your listener feedback show. Uh, feel free to use either, neither, or both, whatever works best for you guys. Uh, the first one has to do with saving uh, payment confirmations of payments that are made online. I'm responsible for making payments both for work and for uh, our home. And on my Mac, it's easy to save copies of those payment confirmation pages uh, by using your Command-P, Command-P shortcut. Um, and then I use default folder X to get me to the correct folder pretty quickly and then save the files there and that's pretty straightforward but on the iPad if I'm away from the office or just using the iPad for a while it's not quite so easy so what I've done uh, what I'll do on the iPad is I'll use one password go in and I'll pay the the bill through there and when I get to the payment confirmation screen just tap and hold on the screen and it's something something that I discovered about a year ago that if you drag the little selection handles um, far enough up and down, you can actually select the entire screen, basically the entire window. So you can get the background and the text and everything. And then I copy that and I open up an app that I use called PDF Printer. And it's one of the you know, handful of PDF conversion apps that are out there. 
and that will let me convert the clipboard to a PDF. And then I name that using the same naming convention that I use on the Mac, um, except that at the very end I'll put either dash work or dash personal, depending on what kind of payment I'm making. And then I drop that into a Dropbox folder called PDF Printer, and when I get back to my Mac, Hazel will work its magic. It watches that folder and it'll see, you know, dash personal, and it'll put it in my personal bills paid folder, and same thing with work files. But it will also run the appropriate automator workflow um, that I've created for each of these scenarios that will remove that dash personal or dash work tag at the end of the file. So when it's all done, it's out of Dropbox, and the name of those files that I've created now match everything else that I have in the same naming convention uh, all the way through. So that's worked really, really well for me. Yeah, that, that's a really, you know, nice workflow and it's a way to kind of get around the inability to print to PDF on iPad. You know, what we really need though is for iOS eight to add a button that says print to PDF. Yes, I mean, we've please. got it on, we've got it on the Mac. We've got the ability to, we've got a print button on the iPad. If they just put in that print dialog box, to PDF, that would solve so many problems. The, I mean, there's some apps that will do it, but they're all workarounds. They have to be. Well, just like this one, he's got to copy it to the clipboard and then go in there. I mean, cause I, I bemoan every once in a while on the show or on the blog that I would like to be able to print an email as a PDF. And I'm not talking about a PDF attachment to an email, but the actual email itself. And every once in a while, somebody sends me an app reference that says, this is the one that solves your problem. And they never really do. They're, you know, it's just not that simple. And it's because of the way the operating system is designed. So I hope someone at Apple is listening, and I hope that they're going to be putting a print-to-PDF button on iOS pretty soon. Because it does hold me back on a productivity basis. All right. Uh, let's go next. To, while we're on the topics of PDF, I did not know this. And uh, let's go talk to uh, to Jeremy, who's got some PDF tips with Enviant. Hello, Katie Floyd and David. It's Jeremy over here in the UK, or more specifically in England. And I just wanted to say something in praise of Enviant. And although I can't imagine that anyone who uses Enviant doesn't know about this little gem, Every time I use it, it tickles me so much that I feel I just have to mention it. And it's simply this. If you drag a PDF file onto the Envelt icon in your dock, it creates instantly a well-formatted text file. And that's it. Envelt converts PDF to text in one simple drag and drop. Fantastic. Yeah, that. first of all, once again, Jeremy comes in and brings the, the class to the podcast. Uh, so you didn't know you could do this, I didn't Katie? know you could do that. How did I miss that? Well, you know that guy, Brett Terpstra, he's, he's always coming up with stuff. He's just freaking genius. But, but the, the qualification on this is it has to have text embedded in it. It's not NVL is not going to OCR a document. If you have a picture of a document that doesn't have OCR in it, it doesn't. this doesn't work. It's got to be a file that's already OCR'd. But once you drag it in, it, it will extract because the... Um, it's not that difficult to find the text in the file itself. The formatting, though, I don't know how the heck he does that. I think that's some kind of dark magic. I think it involves, um, what is it, dilithium crystals. Must be. Must yeah. be what it is. All right. Uh, you know, we talked last time about uh, text expander snippets and uh, using triggers, different tri changing triggers, because you wanted to use text expander more on iOS devices. And I was talking about how I use a semicolon as my text expander trigger 
But, you know, that's a little more complicated on iOS because you have to switch keyboards and do all of that. And you had mentioned that you use, I think, like a double Z or something like that for your text expander trigger. It's just X. Oh, X. X. There you go. And so the question was, if you decide that you, you know, for people who have like us hundreds of, of text expander snippets, going through and changing those triggers can kind of be a bit of a pain. And we, of course, mentioned that our friend Brett Terpstra had a uh, uh, had a solution for that. But uh, here's a another solution from listener Matt. So let's hear let's hear about that. Hey, Katie and David, great show. Thanks for the time you take to pull it together. Like you, I've relied on Text Expander for a number of years with on a Mac. With Text Expander Touch, though, the expansion trigger I use is not as convenient on the iPhone or iPad. In the last live show, you discussed the hassle of changing the trigger prefix or suffix for snippets. I've been resistant to changing mine, too, due to the time commitment, and I don't have nearly as many as either of you. This prompted me, though, to investigate options for automating it, and it turns out it was pretty easy. The snippets are saved in a text file that can be opened with any text editor. To find the file, do a search for a file with a .textexpander suffix, wherever you have the snippet syncing. Make a backup of the file, and after quitting the TextExpander app, open the original in your favorite text editor. For this tip, make sure the editor sports find and replace with regular expressions. I use TextMate, but others such as TextWrangler or BBEdit would work great as well. Partway through the file, you will see each of your snippets and the expansion trigger. From this, you can make a simple regular expression to find and replace the trigger. In my case, I changed my suffix of two commas to the discussed X prefix. Done. Pretty cool. And it makes changing triggers in the future much less of a hassle. Hope it helps someone. Thanks. It never occurred to me just to go into the source data and do it that way with the search and replace. But after he uh, sent that comment in, I went and looked at the file. And you know what? This is totally doable by anybody. Yeah. Matt? Thanks, Matt, for for looking into that. So that that's that's another thing we should probably write up or get Matt to write up and link to it because it really is not that difficult to go through and change it. Um, I did it the hard way. I just decided when the um, as soon as Text Expander Touch came out, I went over to X and uh, and it took me a while to kind of get the old ones switched over. But now I just do them all that way. Uh, and last in our awesome random tips category, uh, here's Shane with uh, an Evernote tip. Hi, Katie and David. I wanted to describe an Evernote workflow that folks may find useful. As Evernote users know, there are about nine octrillion ways to get notes into Evernote. But I found that I was often commuting or otherwise not in a position to type when I had an idea that I wanted to save. So I went on a quest to find the lowest friction way to enter notes, and this is what I came up with. I installed an iOS app called Drafts. It's a note editor whose claim to fame is launching right into an editor with the iOS keyboard and having the ability to output notes to tons of other apps like Twitter, Facebook, email, text messages, Dropbox, and many others, and of course Evernote. You can even create your own custom Evernote output targets that let you predefine specific notebooks and tags. But what I found really useful was that since it uses the stock iOS keyboard, you can use the mic button to speak and transcribe your voice into text. So when I want to enter a note, this is what I do. Launch drafts, click the mic button, speak my note, click done, click the output button, and then select my Evernote target. That's it. No typing. Just five easy button presses no matter how long the note is. So that's it. I hope Evernote users find this useful. And thanks again for all the great tips on Mac Power users. So the gem here is, uh, you know, of course you can use drafts to export to Evernote, but you can do more than that is you can export to Evernote and specifically export to 
particular Evernote notebooks and, and set up specific triggers and, tra and tags within drafts. And I guess I didn't realize, but that's a great use of drafts in Evernote. Yeah, Drafts does that for both Evernote, and then they also have some real expanded functionality for Dropbox. Um, so, like, if you like to keep text files on Dropbox, there's a whole bunch of things you can do inside Drafts. I mean, that that's the app that just never stops giving. Every time he puts an update out, that's one of those apps you don't just install the update and don't think about it. You stop and you read every line of the update notes because there's going to be something in there that's going to make your life easier. All right. Well, we've still got a little bit more left in the show. And uh, before we get there, though, I want to take a quick break and uh, talk about our last sponsor for this episode. Uh, and that is the folks over at Fujitsu. And we've talked about scanning quite a bit in this episode. We've talked about paperless workflows and all sorts of things. And as, as you know, David and I use exclusively the Fujitsu ScanSnap line of scanners because they've got a scanner uh, depending on whatever your needs are that will cover it. Um, my personal favorite and the scanner that is my, my main full-time scanner is the iX500. And this is the Mac Daddy of the Fujitsu scanners. It will do full duplex scans, front and back of pages at the same time. Uh, it has a 50-sheet document feeder, so you can just load it up and push a button, and it will whip through at 25 pages per minute. feels a lot faster than that, though, because it goes over USB 3, and I was just chewing through documents with my iX500 on my Mac yesterday. I, I had a couple of, of big, thick documents that I had to scan through, and it uh, just shredded through them absolutely no problem. Um, you can also scan directly to mobile devices if you want. You can bypass your computer completely and scan to mobile devices. Uh, it's got this advanced paper feeding system uh, where it will know, it, first off, it makes it very hard to do a, a double feed or to misfeed, but if you, because it has these separation rollers that will minimize jams and multi-feeds, um, but if it does, it knows it immediately and it will stop and it will let you know and it will let you fix the problem. Uh, you can also scan wirelessly. So this scanner doesn't even have to be set up on your desk next to your computer. You could, for example, um, put it in your kitchen or put it in your laundry room or wherever you come into the house so you can scan all of your mail directly and then get rid of it and not even have to bring that stuff into your house. So that is the iX500, uh, which is my main scanner. But they also have the S1300i, which is uh, a smaller version, but still perfectly capable. It does 12 pages per minute. It has a 10-sheet document scanner, or 10-sheet uh, document holder, and will do two-sided uh, two scans um, on the go. And it's portable. It can be designed um, to be powered off of AC power, or it will also be designed to be powered off of your computer. And this was the one, David, that I know you brought to Macworld to do with your demo. So this is a great scanner, um, kind of a, a good hotel scanner, or if you're going to do a little more scanning on the go, um, or if you're not doing really high volume scanning, this is a great personal scanner. But if yeah, you it was want kind of it was kind of funny. I was carrying it around Macworld because I gave the paperless session and I wanted to show people how I would scan and process a piece of paper. And then I walked out and like probably about a hundred feet away from the room or 200 feet away from the room that I did the session in was the Fujitsu booth with about a thousand scanners set up. Yeah. I think they would have loaned you one. They probably would have if I had thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then if you want the ultimate in portability, there's the S1100. And David likes to call this the magic wand. Uh, it's USB-powered. You just stick it in the computer and go. It does a single sheet at a time. Um, but, man, if you just want to stick this in the bottom of your briefcase, you can 
you can just scan and go. And then the newest to the um, Fujitsu line of scanners is the SV600. And this is a really interesting scanner. Um, it reminds me of Johnny Five. Do you remember the robot from Short Circuit? It kind of looks like him a little bit. Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. Um, and this scanner will let you scan virtually anything. It is ideal for books and magazines because you lay your item out in front of the scanner and it will scan the item for you. You don't actually run the item through the scanner. Um, so if you're scanning a book or an Amazon uh, magazine, it does image correction to flatten the images. Uh, it will even remove your fingers from the pages. If you've accidentally got your finger still on the side of the page, um, it will remove the creases from the pages. Um, it has automatic page turn detection or timed mode. So if you want to turn a page and let it scan, turn a page and let it scan again, turn a page and let it scan again, um, you should check out the video on their website. It's it's amazing the way that it works. Or you can lay out multiple, multiple documents in front of it and it will automatically crop and scan several documents in one pass. It's absolutely amazing to see it performing live. So you can find more information about all of these scanners at their website. So go to ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap NPU. You'll get a complete rundown of the Mac compatible line of scanners, and that'll also let them know uh, that we sent them to you. So uh, thanks to Fujitsu for their long-term sponsorship of Mac Power users and for making just awesome scanners. So, so Katie, we also um, heard from Debbie. And uh, Debbie had kind of an interesting take of something that I'd never really considered for our show. And she said that the title of her note was where to go for help. And she said, some of us baby boomers need remedial work. And we like the show where you share, share educational services. So she regularly watches screencasts online and some of the other videos, but she wants to know how to get to the next level. For instance, Hazel automator, Apple script programming. And, um, you know, there aren't a whole lot of resources out there to kind of walk you through those steps. And one of the ones I was thinking would be something like a lynda.com. They do some of that programming there, but even then I don't know how much Apple script there is on Linda. I guess I should take a look um, while you're talking, but it is a difficult uh, step to go from kind of the power user to kind of the, the infant programmer which is, I think, where a lot of our listeners, and frankly, I myself sit. And I found that one of the best places to go, like if you want to learn an Apple script, is to some of these forums where there's a bunch of Apple script programmers hanging out there. And you can say what it is you want to do and have a specific problem. And there's a bunch of people there that will help you. I also would recommend the Sal Segoyan book, which um, I know Dr. Drang doesn't like his book, but I think it's a really good book for a beginner Um uh, in terms of just kind of getting you going. And there's some fairly advanced Apple scripts in there as well. So that'd be another place I would go. How about you? What do you think, Katie? Uh, I, I don't want to speak directly to programming. I, I want to answer this question more generally of, of where to go to help. And, and I think uh, doing this show, we have kind of an interesting swath of people. You know, we have, uh, we do have some more novice and more beginning people who are listening to the show because they want to become Mac power users. Uh, we would have, you know, more intermediate users and then we have, you know, Uber power users. So it's, it's kind of interesting. And, you know, we, we always thought at the beginning of this, maybe we're setting ourselves up for failure when we name a show Mac power users, but based on the feedback that we get, we, we have a wide range of abilities of people who listen to this show. So I, I think it's a valid question to say, no matter where you are, where, where can you go to, to learn things and get better? 
Um, obviously, I'm going to promote podcasts. Um, if you're listening to this show, you've you've already got a good start. But um, go check out there. Are, there are a lot of other great podcasts available. Don McAllister's Screencast Online uh, is a great place to start. I know Debbie already mentioned that. I agree with your recommendation of Lynda.com because if you want to dive deeper into a particular topic. You're going to find a lot of videos on on lynda.com. Even YouTube. Now, YouTube is one of those things where you've got to weed through a lot of things uh, before you may find something that's particularly interesting. But like Todd's videos on OS X Server are are all on YouTube, and and he's done some great videos on Little Snitch and on other topics. Uh, You'd be surprised at the wealth of content that are on video services like YouTube and Vimeo. Um, part of it just depends on what kind of learner are you. Are you the type of learner that want, do you want to read it? Do you want to listen to it? Do you want to watch it? Um, there's so many different ways that, that you can get this type of, of information. You really just have to go out and explore and, and read as many things as, as you can. I really enjoy the process of, of diving into a geek problem. And, you know, I, I get an endorphin from it, which is probably why I'm doing a podcast like this. Uh, but there is a wealth of resources out there. But even more important, I would say, is there's a lot of people out there that really like to help people learn. Like Todd is a good example. I mean, he is really into server. And I'm sure if you called him or or sent him an email with a question following his videos, he'd probably get back with you with some pretty good answers. So there's no reason why anybody out there can't empower themselves, baby boomer or whatever age you are. Like I said, I made a date with Katie when I'm in my nineties, I'm going to be doing the, uh, what is it? The, um, is it, is it star Trek life day? Is that what they call it? It's first contact. Day. Yeah, that's right. It's Wookiee life day. I'm sorry. I got confused. Well, we're, we're, I'm going to be my nineties and hopefully I'll still be learning things then. So it's out there and, uh, just go explore a little bit and you'd be surprised what you'll find. Um, do, we, do Katie, we need to talk about the star Wars Christmas special? Um, I, I think it's spectacular in a certain way in its horribleness. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying, cause that's a topic that, Star- that we need to bring up. The Star Wars has a Christmas special. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Right. Are you angry, Katie? I'm not, I'm not making you mad. All right. Um, I'm very excited about the changes to if this, then that I just wanted to put, I had a couple other things I wanted to add to the show while I have kind of an open mic. Um, have you been playing with if this, then that's a new iPad version? I have. In fact, um, I, I find the iPad version a really great place to explore if this, then that recipes. Um, one night I was just, you know, laying on the couch and must have created a dozen recipes just because it was so easy so organizing through and uh, looking at the different categories and seeing what other people had done. Yeah, and they have specific rules that make sense for, for mobile devices. So it actually expands your functionality if this, then that for you. Um, I, I don't know. These guys keep coming out with great stuff. They keep coming out with more channels. Uh, I just hope that um, the rug doesn't get pulled out from underneath us. I, I don't know what their financing is. I mean, they're not—they're clearly not making any money from us. I wonder if the channel providers are are getting involved. I don't know. Hmm. I guess I shouldn't worry about it too much. But uh, you know, I've been stung before when I got heavily invested into an online service that didn't charge me money, and one day they just pulled the plug. Do you care? I do care. I use if this then that extensively. I wish they would take my money. And uh, you know, we we talk about this on another show where I would I would love to see uh, additional if this then that functionality where I could build upon rules. You know, where I could say if this and this or this then that. Yeah, conditional rules, big deal. I, I think that that improves the functionality of service significantly. 
And as you and I have talked, actually, we've talked about it from the future because <laughs> we recorded a show that's going to come out after this one uh, where we both agreed that that would be a great um, financial model for them to say, hey, if you want a little more power, throw us a few bucks. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I like the idea of two picks. We did that last time. And uh, I think we've got kind of towards the end here. So let's let's make a couple picks each of us before we head out. Uh, my first one is Ulysses 1.2. Uh, uh, they've come out with an update to the Ulysses uh, application for the Mac now. It's just keeps getting better. I really like this thing. It's it's not a word processor. Uh, it's much more in the category of Scrivener than it is in anything else, but it's not quite as advanced as Scrivener. It doesn't have as many dials and buttons, but the clean interface is really sweet. And uh, now they've got a thing that tracks the number of words, and you can see that where they're going with the features. Um, whenever Ulysses or Scrivener gets a really good companion iPad app, it's going to change the way I write books. Wow, really? Yeah, I'm. I think both of the, those are the two big contenders in my mind. Yeah, um, I just got a, a new toy, and I've been well. I don't know if you call playing with it, but um, I got a new iHome docking station. And uh, it's the iHome, let me make sure I get the model right, the IDL46. And I've, I've had iHome docking stations about as long as I've had a, an iPhone because what do, I, what do most people do at night? Uh, most people, they go to bed and they plug in their iPhone at night. And um, because my iPhone is my only phone, I like to keep it near the bed so that if it rings in the middle of the night, I'll hear it. And I do have the D&D set so that only if it rings through certain people that I actually want to hear from will it actually wake me up and I'll hear it. Um, so, you know, you could go with the solution of having multiple chargers and cables by the bed, but these docking solutions from iHome seem to work well. And the um, IDL45 is a newer one. I think it just came out. And I really like the look of it. It's a little different look. It's more oval as opposed to the traditional kind of uh, square and rectangular docking stations that they've had. It's got a nice clean look to it. It's it's It doubles as your clock radio, so you don't have to have an additional device on your bedtime nightstand. Um, and then it's a nice little speaker. It's it's nice. I mean, it's not a a, a super high-end speaker, but it's, it's plenty for a single room. And it, it'd be great for a bedroom or a dorm room. Um, or a guest room or even something like that. And it gives you the ability to set two alarms and you can set those alarms to go off um, only on weekdays, only on weekends or go off every day. And so I've got two different alarms set. Um, you know, one is kind of my regular alarm time and one is set an hour or two earlier for when I've got to get up early to get something done. And I flip back and forth for those. So I don't have to worry about remembering to set the alarm every day. I just know that the alarm is set for every weekday. It's going to wake me up at either 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., depending on, on what's going on. So um, I just mentioned that because I think it's a it's a nice upgrade, and I really like uh, the new direction that they're going with the design. Okay, I've got a, a related dock product to talk about. Um, on Kickstarter, I don't know, about seven, eight months ago, there was this product called the EverDock, and I actually blogged about it at Max Barkey because I thought it was interesting. I am a fan of these docks that are increasingly coming out that will hold stick to the table. So when you pull off your iPhone or your iPad, you don't yank the dock off the table. And with the new lightning connector, that actually is kind of a problem. And I had tried a couple of them and I always ended up sending them back because I wasn't happy with them. But then I bought one of these ever docks and I bought it through Kickstarter and it's at fusedesigns.com F U Z D E S I N G N S.com. And it's not, 
it's not like Katie's. It doesn't have any hardware attached to it. All it is is a piece of machined aluminum that's nice and heavy, and it's got those micro suction film on the bottom, so you put it on a table, and it just doesn't easily come off. You have to really kind of pry it up. But it doesn't damage the table at all. And then it's got these machined holes in the bottom where you can run a USB or a lightning cable through it, but you got to provide your own cables. So, But I happen to have chargers for these things because I already own the phone and the iPad. So I ran them up through this device, and then I just set it on my bedside table, and it locked itself down in essence. And every evening I put my iPad and my iPhone. I got the Duo, the Everdock Duo, uh, which has two connections on it so I can – charge both an iPhone and an iPad at the same time. They also have a, a standard one that will allow you just to charge one item. And uh, they're not cheap. I was just looking on the website. It was cheaper when I bought them through Kickstarter, obviously, that they were getting started. Now it's it's $50 for the single one, and it's $70 for the, for the two-item one. And I know that seems like a lot of money when you consider there's no electronics, there's no speakers, there's no clock in it. It's just a dock holder. But it's really nice, and it, it really holds things down. I've been using it now for about four months, and I, I really like it. See, I thought for a minute you were going to say you got the Duo so that you could charge both yours and your wife's iPhone at night. But no, it was so I could charge my iPhone and my iPad. She, she's on her you. own. She's got to charge it on her own. We actually have in our house, because we're an Apple family, we've got a couple lightning cables sprinkled throughout the house. We've got like one downstairs next to the telephone, and we've got you know we've got a couple around the house, so... Uh, whenever my family or my kids, friends or whatever come over, there's usually something plugged into one of those cables in our house. Okay. So David just looks out for David. I got it. You, you cut me deep. You cut me. <laughs> uh, so my other thing is um, something that I've just been using recently, and it's it's free, um, although you do have to pay for the content unless you have an Amazon Prime subscription, and that is Amazon Instant Video's streaming app. And I've been an Amazon Prime member for a while, and if you are, uh, it comes, uh, in in the U.S. at least, uh, with free streaming videos. And I think it does in a few other parts of the world. I think the U.K. now has uh, some streaming video service as well. But Amazon has really upped their game and are are going head-to-head, I think, with Netflix and trying to pull some exclusive content deals. And I've just about gotten to the point. Um, I've, I've got House of Cards that I'm finishing up on Netflix And as soon as I finish it up, I think I'm going to drop my Netflix subscription because just about everything that I'm interested in watching um, from Netflix is available on Amazon. I've already got it, you know, through my Amazon Prime subscription. Now, the um, of course, unfortunately, they do not have an app for the Apple TV, but you can AirPlay from uh, your phone or from your iPad to the Apple TV. And I just got one of these new smart TVs for my living room now, and it's got it built in. So I can just do it automatically with that. So I'm, you know, especially the summertime when um, we're kind of in a drought for new content, I'm going back and I'm catching up on a, on a lot of things uh, through Amazon Instant Video. And somebody tweeted me something that like this this horrible, horrible movie from the 80s was available on Amazon Instant Streaming wanting me to watch it. War something? I don't remember. <laughs> yes, you need to watch it. Yeah. but uh, In fact, I think we should just make that a condition of the next podcast. It's not getting recorded till you watch it. Okay. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> the um, uh, that's pretty serious though. When you said it, your fancy new TV had it built in, you were referring to Amazon, not to AirPlay. Yes, I'm sorry. It had Amazon Instant Streaming built in. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool if they could just build the AirPlay into the TV? Well, now that I've bought a fancy new TV, I, uh, you know, 
I don't I don't think Apple is going to come out with a true TV Apple TV, but no, no, and I don't think there's any there's very little chance that Apple's ever going to let somebody build airplane to their TV. No, not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, that was a pretty good show. We covered quite a bit of feedback. Uh, thank you everybody in the chat room for coming in. It's a lot of fun. We're going to, we're going to do more live shows, even not just the feedback shows. Uh, it's just too fun. We're going to have to find a way to make it work, even though we record at weird times and who the heck knows when we're going to show up. So just be, be on the lookout for us. And uh, thanks to our sponsors for Backblaze, uh, One Password, Belkin, and of course Fujitsu. Katie, where can you find us? Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this show. Thank you, Hey, over at our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also find us on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Mac Sparky. Uh, you can send us email to feedback at Mac power users. And um, we also have a Google plus group that you can go check out. It's growing in size and there's lots of great content up there. Um, and uh, I'm really kind of enjoying seeing all the, the interactions going on on the Google plus site. Well, thank you to everybody in the chat room for joining us. I think it was another successful Mac power users live, despite some of the, the live streaming audio issues. And uh, we will see you all next time. <laughs>